Arguably the highest stakes ballot item up for grabs on November 3rd is Amendment 3, which would substantially change how Missouri's state legislative redistricting process transpires. Blake Hurst believes it's important for the proposal to be approved. The president of the Missouri Farm Bureau joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to break down the ins and outs of Amendment 3 and whether the Yes campaign can stack up to a vigorous no side. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. Well, we want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me as my special guest today, he is the head of the Missouri Farm Bureau and from beautiful Atchison County, Missouri. Our guest today is Blake Hurst. And uh, again, I'm president of Missouri Farm Bureau and uh, live in northwest Missouri in Tarkio, Missouri, where I farm and have a greenhouse business. I don't think we've ever had anybody from Tarkio, Missouri. And you know what? Take that back. We've had Todd Graves on the show, and he's from Tarkio, Missouri. We have not had Sam Graves on, but we hope to eventually. So you are not the first Tarkioian to be on the uh, Politically Speaking podcast. I used to babysit for both Sam and Todd of a fact which they do not like to be reminded of. Well, I, I hope that they're listening to this show and are incredibly embarrassed. So You are here to talk about Amendment 3, which is a ballot item that voters will decide on November 3rd, largely involving state legislative redistricting. It makes major changes to the 2018 measure known as Clean Missouri when it comes to the state legislative side. I want to make clear the Missouri Farm Bureau is not the official campaign saying, yes, vote on three, but your, your organization has endorsed it. And we are going to be having a no on three representative, Sean Sonker Nicholson, on. Uh, and and the, the podcast will be released basically around the same time. So very simply, why did your organization decide to endorse Amendment 3? Well, we think it's important uh, that redistricting be done uh, in a way that doesn't um, doesn't harm our members. And uh, the, uh, the initiative passed in 2018. Uh, it, it is is unfair to uh, to people who live in the smaller, more rural parts of the state. Uh, that's a strong feeling above, among our membership, almost unanimous. Uh, it was a very easy decision uh, for our organization to support Amendment 3, and we're looking forward to its passage. Well, and I'm going to just differentiate between the two systems. I'm going to call the 2018 version Clean Missouri. I'm going to call the, the version on the ballot this year Amendment 3 just for just to make sure we're clear, why do you why did Clean Missouri why is it seen as a threat to members of the Farm Bureau? Well, uh, the tradition and and our Constitution have uh, required that uh, legislative districts be uh, shaped, have a shape, have a form uh, that they respect uh, political boundaries, counties, townships, uh, cities, uh, that they be compact. Um, the, uh, the, the initiative passed in 2018, did away with all those things, 
and replaced uh, our traditional means of redistricting uh, with a brand new scheme, uh, one that doesn't exist anywhere else in the U.S., one that's never been tried before, uh, that gives much of that responsibility to someone called a state demographer, uh, a position I might add that two years later has not been filled yet. We have no idea uh, who's going to be in charge of redistricting even this far into the uh, into the 2000, after the 2018 uh, initiative. Uh, we think that contiguous districts are important, that common interest is important, that communities are important, and that's why we favor Amendment 3. I've looked at both uh, language of these two plans very closely. There is language in Clean Missouri about compactness and con- contiguity, but it's especially the compactness requirements are, are lower in the priority than this formula that you alluded to about partisan fairness and competitiveness. And some Clean Missouri proponents may be like, it's good to have competitive districts and it's good to have more evenly matched districts between the two parties. And we shouldn't just focus just on compactness when there are other factors involved. How would you respond to that argument? Well, first of all, competitiveness is a a moment in time. Uh, Redistricting lasts for a decade. Uh, I was well into my 40s before I had uh, the opportunity to vote for a Republican uh, for a local uh, for a local election. People's political affiliations change over time. Their interests and their communities do not. Uh, so that's why uh, we thought that, we think that uh, community and contiguous districts should rank uh, higher than um, higher than competitiveness. And I think that uh, the way they're ranked in the Constitution makes a great deal of difference. That's why we're having this argument uh, and to argue that it doesn't uh, is being disingenuous. So, so there is a difference between the two ways of doing redistricting. One is tried and true and has served, served Missouri well for a very long time. Uh, the other is a scheme that's never been tried before, and we seem to have, be having trouble implementing it here in Missouri as well. I'm going to play a clip now from Sean Sonker Nicholson. He is the leader of the group trying to defeat Amendment 3 to piggyback on the point about compactness and why he feels it shouldn't be the dominant uh, factor behind redistricting. The Constitution right now requires compact and continu- continuous districts. That's important. The question is whether compactness is the only thing that matters. And what the voter-approved rules say is that compactness still matters. It's still a requirement. And the overall outcome needs to be fair. And so it's a question of should future maps be compact and fair? Or do we want a system where compactness is the only thing that matters and it's structured in such a way that it gives the lobbyists and political appointees who are drawing the maps loopholes to do whatever they want um, to pack voters together in a small area and then that locks in outcomes in a way that are unfair or it locks in outcomes in in a way that impacts the overall plan. So of course compact maps matter. That's why they're required right now. Or of course compact districts matter. Like that's why they're required now. It's it's just whether that's the only thing that matters. So the subtext of, of Nicholson's argument that I'm kind of reading between the lines about is if you look at a map of Missouri, Democrats are highly concentrated in St. Louis and Kansas City and to some extent Boone County. And if you have a dominant requirement about redistricting with compactness, it's going to inherently put Democrats at a disadvantage because 
because the rest of the state is super Republican. And that's kind of why you have to have districts that have terrain that is both urban, suburban and exurban to some extent. How would you respond to that? I would respond that uh, fairness is in the eye of the beholder, uh, that the Democrats have, um, again, political affiliations can change, can change rapidly. Uh, If we pay attention to the polls right now, as we go up to the November 3rd election, we may be seeing uh, an election that shows changes all across the United States and what would have been competitive 10 years ago will no longer be uh, competitive because people's opinions have changed. It seems passing strange to me that instead of attempting to compete uh, in rural areas, if you're a Democrat, or compete in urban areas, uh, if you're a Republican, uh, the solution we've chosen is to change the rules because our side is not winning. Uh, That's what we did in 2018. It was a mistake. uh, And we now have a chance to change it. So let's talk about like who will be making the decision under Amendment 3. Right now, under Clean Missouri, you mentioned a demographer has most of the power because in order for the demographer to be overruled, there are still commissions, but the commissions would have to overrule by a seven-tenths formula. So that means like I think seven out of 10 Senate commission members would have to overrule the demographer. And I think it would have to be 12 House House uh, mem- House Commission members. I'm not 100 percent sure about that, but it's close to that. And it has to be under the same criteria as Clean Missouri as well. With Amendment three, you have two commissions of 20 people split evenly between Republicans and Democrats. But you still have that seven tenths requirement to approve a map. And I've gone back and forth with Sean Nicholson about that. I don't think that there's any scenario where four Republicans or four Democrats would cross over to approve a map under this system, because what constitutes advantageous redistricting between the two parties is so radically different. So is it your feeling that th- these commissions matter at all? I kind of see them as, a, as an irrelevant step in the process. Do you have a different opinion about that? Well, I think that the emphasis needs to be on this position of state demographer. Uh, who is now in charge, if we had one, uh, who is now in charge of this whole process and, and sets the tone, sets the, uh, starts the conversation. Uh, uh, we don't know who that is. Uh, it's, again, odd that it's, uh, it's selected by the state auditor. Uh, the Secretary of State obviously is in charge of elections. The Attorney General's legal, head legal officer of the state. No, we chose uh, the auditor. Uh, for reasons that are obvious when you think about party affiliation, but make no sense otherwise. Uh, We've been unable to come up with a state demographer. We had uh, six people apply, uh, and I would say, uh, without knowing any of them well and not being critical of any of them, I would say that their qualifications were underwhelming. Uh, So so, so nothing happened. We don't have that position filled. Uh, Everybody went home uh, and, and refused to do that. So we're starting out on a process uh, that gives a power to a person whom we don't even know. Uh, you hear about faceless bureaucrats. This one doesn't even have a name. Uh, yes, it will be difficult to get seven out of 10 in any, uh, in any kind of redistricting scenario, uh, but it may surprise you uh, as people horse trade as they do. I mean, we should always remember that if there's one fact that I hope people that are listening to this uh, remember, 
redistricting is always and everywhere a political process. Politics cannot be removed from it. Uh, so, so how do we get the results uh, that uh, best fit the state of Missouri? And I think we do it by concentrating on keeping people uh, with similar interests together. Uh, political affiliations may change, but our interests tend to remain the same. Uh, we keep it contiguous. Uh, we make it easy for representatives to cover their district, to represent their district, uh, to know people by name in distri their districts, uh, and all those things uh, will happen if we pass Amendment 3. So the auditor, I think, is responsible for coming up with the going through the application process for the demographer. And I believe that she forwarded, as you mentioned, six or seven people to the minority leader and the majority leader. I guess the minority and majority leader could pick somebody and I guess they can eliminate people. And then the auditor picks the demographer in a random drawing. Uh, do you still feel like that system gives too much power to the auditor, especially if, you know, let's just say Caleb Rowden and and. John Rizzo end up just selecting one of the six. Listen to the process that you described. Uh, it seems sort of like Rube Goldberg. Uh, one of the things I, one of the things that I find so very very interesting in this is that uh, Amendment Three proponents are being criticized for uh, try, not really willing to talk about redistricting and emphasizing the uh, the ethics provision of Amendment Three, and yet. And yet we passed this Rube Goldberg scheme two years ago, and I guarantee you uh, that there wasn't 10% of the voters that understood what they were voting for. Uh, so, so it's just not a, a fair way. Uh, I shouldn't even use that term. I've already criticized it. It doesn't seem to me to be a very rational way uh, to decide on legislative districts for the next decade. And uh, I think anybody that really thinks about it will, would agree. Let's go back to the process under Amendment 3. So if the commission's deadlock, which, again, I think is a strong possibility. I'm not going to say it's 100 percent certain, but I think it's probably 80 percent certain. A panel of appellate judges would be responsible for drawing the House and Senate maps under a different criteria, as we've established, than under Clean Missouri. And I have heard people on both sides of the aisle say that judges are not equipped to deal with state legislative redistricting, they have no expertise in the area, that the maps that they drew in 2011 were nonsensical and, in the case of the Senate map, completely unconstitutional. I guess my question to you is, why should we empower judges that some would argue don't know what they're doing so much power over this process under Amendment 3? Well, I, I think you're, uh, there's a series of assumptions there, uh, but if it does end up in the court system, at least um, we have the ability to vote um, on judges. Uh, they, are, they are have to be reaffirmed by the voters, uh, although that does not happen very often. Uh, there is still some accountability there. Um, once we have a state demographer, there's no accountability at all. We'll be right back after this quick break with Blake Hurst. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Blake Hurst. He's the president of the Missouri Farm Bureau and a proponent of Amendment 3, which deals with state legislative redistricting. So I want to go through a couple of arguments that the no side is, is putting forward, although I've kind of gone through some of them before. I think that the main one they're using in their advertising is they're trying to argue that Amendment 3 is inherently deceptive because it, in, it includes 
what I would classify as small changes to limits on lobbyist gifts and campaign donation limits, and also this major change to state legislative redistricting. I have an assumption about what you're going to say, but what would you say to that argument? I would say that um, it is patently true that the most important part of Amendment 3 are the provisions relating to redistricting. I would say, as you might expect, that it takes a certain amount of chutzpah, which is kind of admirable in its way, uh, to argue that the proponents of Amendment 3 are being deceptive after the campaign that was run for clean Missouri two years ago. So, so we're having an argument about redistricting. Uh, one side says it can't, it, it can be made fair, whatever that means, it can be removed from politics. Uh, the other side uh, is dealing uh, in the real world. Uh, it seems to me that it's pretty clear uh, who is being uh, more honest. And uh, I think that's the proponents of Amendment 3, and that's why you should vote yes. And just to make sure our listeners understand what you're saying, you're saying that clean Missouri proponents were being deceptive in 2018 because they included things like curtailing lobbyist gifts and requiring legislative emails to be open under the Sunshine Law and as part of this major redistricting change. That's what you're alluding to, basically. I am absolutely saying that, uh, that most voters did not understand the important part of, of the amendment they passed in 2018 uh, and that to accuse opponents of the same thing. Do I think that the uh, ethical changes in Amendment 3 are a bit of trolling going on? Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, but, uh, you know, we didn't uh, start this game. I want to bring up a point that I think is also being emphasized, and that is uh, language in Amendment 3 about one man, one vote. And Amendment 3 opponents are arguing that that language would allow the redistricting process to go forward without counting children and without counting people that are are not eligible to vote. It would only be eligible voters. I'm going to play a clip now from State Representative John Carpenter, a Democrat from Clay County, who is arguing about why this change is not good. There is nothing conservative, nothing conservative about radically altering and fundamentally changing the basic underpinnings of our democratic structure in this country. And I am frankly shocked that it has gotten this far. I remember when it was first introduced as an idea, I frankly couldn't believe it. And we are about, I guess, to, to actually send this to the ballot, to make Missouri, to ask the voters of Missouri to make Missouri the first state in the history of this country to undo 231 years of the way we've always held democratic elections, the way we've always apportioned representation based upon total population. I've been trying to figure out like what the real story is here. Like what, why do you think that that language was included about one man, one vote? And do you think that opponents of amendment three have some valid points that it could lead to a lot of unintended consequences when it comes to actually coming up with the count for how much, how many people are in, e- in each district? Uh, well, I think that, um, that was some pretty, uh, pretty heated rhetoric there. That was, that was amazing. Um, so we aren't counting children, but we have no way of knowing, um, who has more children. I mean, it's not clear to me what difference that makes. Uh, I have a lot of neighbors that uh, have a lot of kids and, uh, I'm sure that people in 
other parts of the state could say the same. Um, we're, we're counting people who actually have the ability to vote. Uh, the other group that, that is perhaps not being counted are people that are here um, illegally. And uh, so, so, so I think there is some concern uh, that they uh, not be given representation. But the more important part of the one man, one vote thing, uh, provision, I think, is the idea that districts should be very close to numerically equal. Uh, and one of the concerns I think proponents of Amendment 3 had uh, was that if you tended to make um, districts in rural areas slightly larger uh, than districts in urban areas, and you repeat that 163 times across the state, uh, you can make a very big difference on uh, how elections turn out. So I think the more important part is, it seems to make sense to me to count the registered voters, that's after all who makes political decisions. Uh, and the more important part of, of uh, that provision is that districts be numerically equal. I want to now play a clip from one of the only Republicans to vote against Amendment 3, certainly in the Senate. I think that there were some opponents in the House, and that's uh, Senator Lincoln Huff, a Republican from Springfield. He, I don't think he was a huge fan of Clean Missouri because I talked with him a few months ago about this, but he this is his argument about what should be done about this, and I want you to respond to it because I think it is being... This is a core argument that's being used against Amendment 3. We haven't seen what this new map would look like. I just think, uh, I think, at least in my communities, the the voters, I mean, 65% of my district voted in favor of Amendment 1. And uh, I just, I did not see the necessity to do this right now. I would have been more comfortable having let the process play out let this demographer come into play, draw these maps. And then if you got, Jason, if you got some spider web where someone from Joplin had a representative from Kansas City, I think the voters would then say, wait a minute, this isn't what we bargained for. So that is a kind of verbose way of asking, why not let this process play out? And if all the nightmare scenarios that Clean Missouri opponents have been talking about, it all comes true, then there's an opportunity in, I don't know, 2028 or something to get rid of this system and replace it with something else. What do you think of that argument from Senator Huff? Well, I have a great deal of respect for for Senator Huff, obviously, and I've worked closely with him over the years, but I think in this case, um, he's wrong. Um, I mean, in taken to its barest essentials, the, the argument, it seems to me, it's a, it's a leading argument against voting for Amendment 3 is the voters have spoken. Uh, they've made up their mind. Um, we can't change our minds. Um, we have elections every two years for a reason. Uh, if, if the polls today are uh, correct, uh, there's a certain number of people that have had buyer's remorse um, on their presidential vote four, year, four years ago. So, so they should not have the ability to change their mind. Um, or I guess to take his argument a step further, we should wait 10 years to see if we've made a mistake. We've had two years to think about it. We've had two years to learn about it. Uh, we've had two years to watch the whole process of attempting to appoint a state demographer. Uh, I think we have enough information now to make a decision. And the decision is that we ought to vote yes on Amendment 3. So let's talk about the impending campaign. As I mentioned before, like you're part of a different organization 
a, a very notable organization that has a statewide following among a lot of people. Um, but I'm getting a sense from looking at the campaign finances that the no side is getting literally millions of dollars to run TV ads to defeat Amendment 3. And the same sort of monetary aggressiveness is not really being seen on the yes side. So I'm asking this question because the rule of thumb in Missouri is if you have a ballot initiative and there's a lot of money being spent on the no side, the chances of it failing go up dramatically unless there is like a fairly equivalent surge of organization and monetary resources on the yes side. Does that concern you that the no side seems to be pretty well equipped for this impending campaign? Well, sure, it concerns me. Uh, it also concerns me that much, if not all of that money is coming from out of state. Uh, huge funders in Texas, huge funders on the East Coast, uh, trying to tell us, trying to uh, force an experiment among, upon us and in, in, in drawing district lines. Uh, while good, you know, Missouri, uh, Missouri seems to me to be able to govern themselves, and I don't like to see this money coming in from out of state. Uh, it would be great if uh, Amendment 3 proponents could raise a like amount of funds. It doesn't appear that we will. Uh, so we have to hope that the uh, common sense of Missourians uh, will win out against uh, uh, funds coming in from elsewhere. And I guess my final question goes back to what I was talking about with Senator Huff. Regardless of the money, regardless of the argumentation, I think a big challenge for Amendment 3 proponents is to tell voters that they made a mistake in 2018. And some voters may just be like, I don't feel like I made a mistake. Like, I, I knew what I was doing here. Is that, a, is that an insurmountable hurdle for Amendment 3 proponents? Or do you feel like you can make the, the case to voters to basically change course from two years ago? Well, given our, um, given our financial deficit and, and uh, the, the proponents that are the, uh, the people that are lined up against us as we start this campaign, I think we have an uphill climb. But uh, I have a great deal of faith on people's ability to uh, understand uh, what happened in 2018. Uh, I change my mind on any number of issues every day, and as all of us do, as we learn more, uh, as we look at an issue more deeply, uh, I hope that we're able to get that message out, uh, that we may not have a majority of the funds spent on this issue, but we have a, the, the, the thing about money in politics, you don't have to have the most, but you have to have enough. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we will raise enough dollars uh, to get that message out, uh, that we were fooled, on 2018, but that we do have a chance to correct that mistake. And that's what we ought to do by voting yes on Amendment 3 on November the 3rd. Well, Blake, thank you so much for your time and providing uh, your take on this very important issue. As I mentioned, we will have a separate episode with the no side. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you? I don't know if you are you on Twitter, first of all? Absolutely at Hearst Blake, real original name. <laughs> and how can people find out more about the Farm Bureau? I know, I know that you you all do a lot more than just talk about state legislative redistricting. So how could people how you can find us at MOFB.org and uh, on that that'll link you very quickly if you're interested in learning more about Amendment 3. Uh, we have quite an extensive uh, amount of information on the website about Amendment 3, so mofb.org. Thank you very much, and until next time, so long. Mm-hmm.